0: So you're listening to Beyond Infinity, May 2020. I have a very distinguished guest who I'm, I'm happy to have back on the program. It's Dr. Ian Storey, lecturer in Information Systems at RMIT. Welcome, Ian. Thanks, Piers. Always good to be talking with you. Well, great to have a, a mathematician to talk to about some of the interesting things that the, the world has happening at the moment. And the, the, the big obvious one, the elephant in the room, in every room, in, in um, I think there's four and a half billion people in lockdown around the world. So we really are living in extraordinary and unprecedented historic times. So it is good to have a mathematician to discuss some of the issues that arise from the COVID-19 pandemic. And today I thought a particularly appropriate thing to discuss is the COVID-safe Application. So, this is an app for smartphones that's been launched by the Australian government. It is about contact tracing. It's voluntary in Australia. There are similar apps that have been used with varying success in other countries in the world. And the COVID Safe app that we have in Australia, and, and I think over 4 million people have got it. I think the total number of smartphones in Australia is between 15 and 20 million. And they're trying to get to a a critical number which then gives them quality data that they're looking for. So what the app does is it uses Bluetooth to measure and record proximity with other people who are running the app on their phones. So we're all being encouraged to activate the app whenever we leave home and uh, have it running in the background. You need to have Bluetooth on and you need to have the app running. Rather than using geolocation to work out where you are. It's not a GPS tracker, it actually just records whenever Bluetooth picks up a contact with another phone that's got Bluetooth on, there's a kind of a handshake between the phones. A randomly generated number is assigned to that contact and stored on each phone. If any of the people who are running this app are found to have COVID-19, to have contracted that virus, uh, then they are invited, they don't have to, it's not compulsory to do this, but they're invited by health authorities to share that information that's stored on their phone from the COVID safe app. And that information allows contact tracing. So it can look back and say, okay, what are the what other phones did that phone come in contact with? We can use that information to help us contact those people. We can match a telephone number to the randomly generated number that's assigned to that contact and then those people can be contacted and and tested and it just makes that contact tracing business much easier. Uh, So that's essentially what it does. So some of the privacy concerns are that it's actually recording your geolocation. It's not doing that. It's just using Bluetooth to detect proximity to other phones running the same app. And just on privacy, and I guess it's a good place to start because a lot of people have got concerns about it. I, I received a text message today Ian encouraging me to activate the app or to download it and, and make it active. There's quite a big campaign to, to increase the coverage of people running this app in Australia. Privacy is a concern. It may be one of the reasons why people are holding back, installing it and running it. I've asked this to an IT guy and he said to me, well, if you run Google or if you run Gmail or, or Facebook, he said, you've already for years been giving up a lot of your privacy and, and, um, you know, there will be thousands of data points on you. Your information is owned by big data companies and mined uh, and on sold for commercial purposes. So what's the problem with with having the COVID safe app on your phone? What do you think about that, Ian?
1: Well, to begin with, I would say that when I click, I agree to an app that I really want on my phone, or my computer, I don't have any other option. And I have to click I agree. And I've noticed over over the years, when I first started teaching information security, or maybe 15 years ago, students were worried about their privacy, much more than they are now. Because everyone knows you give it away. Um, You know, anyone... My students are pretty tech-savvy and they know that if they type in holiday in Tasmania into Google, they're going to get a gazillion advertisements on holiday in Tasmania. And sometimes it's almost like it's reading your mind before you even type it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I still have concerns about government and privacy. I have concerns about corporations and privacy just as much. Mm. So in order to make it as secure As possible, the attempt to make it as secure as possible is, I think, a really good thing. Despite the fact that we are giving that data away in Google and in Amazon, and we perhaps shouldn't be. Mm. It comes down to not just the security, though, but the uses of it by the government. So, how long they're going to keep the data. I have some concerns about the way it's being phrased Scotty from marketing can phrase things so they sound really secure <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, uh, um, so for example where the bloody hell are you <laughs> yeah yeah um, and at the moment we're being told that it's our fault if we if we don't put the app on our phones then it's our fault people will get sick mm. almost you know it, it, that that sort of intonation and this government hasn't had a good track record on keeping information safe or on their attitude to journalists with information. Mission creep could bring this in and then you add on another layer and then you add on another layer. Yeah. So personally I haven't downloaded the app yet. Mm. And I do say yet, because I'm still making up my mind.
0: But one question I was even thinking of putting to you was, was, um, do you think the app should be compulsory? And by the the sound of things, the answer is no.
1: None of the other countries who've used a similar app have made it compulsory. The Australian government would stand out if it tried to make it compulsory. I don't believe they can or will.
0: Mm. You know, it was quite interesting that in Singapore, I was hearing that when they pre-polled people about you know, how likely were you to install an app once it's available, you know, this is the government talking to its, its people in Singapore, the polling showed that you know, a very high number said yes. But then when it actually came to installing the app, the number was much lower. And then as we know, and I'm not saying this is necessarily directly related to the uptake or, or lack of, of the app, uh, which I believe the Australian app is quite closely modeled on actually um, the Singaporean app. Uh, that kind of had a, a second wave in Singapore and and a lot more cases and and this was to do with some specific conditions that applied there. It was migrant workers living in in cramped uh, high density accommodation. Uh, arguably the most overlooked segment of society and the and the um, the least advantaged were the ones who, had the conditions where the second wave could get going and then that's in turn you know, spread into the wider population.
1: I think the app is a fantastically good tool mm. for getting extra data mm. on areas of outbreak if enough people use it. Our database is centralised and theirs wasn't.
0: If our information is stored on an Amazon server that is located in Australia.
1: In Australia, yeah. Mm. However, Amazon itself is really tightly regulated by the American government to reveal any information that the American government deems it needs. Right. Hmm. You know, Scotty from Marketing has said that it'll be a criminal offence for anyone to use the data. However, the American government can force Amazon to give them data from any country in the world.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? And and they also aren't signatories to the International Court. They're not signatories of that. So so if there was ever a legal attempt by Australia to, to get them on on an illegal uh, access of Australians' data, uh, well, America could just say, well, we're not signatories to that anyway.
1: They definitely do have to satisfy warrants of,
0: of the US federal government. Yeah, right. Mm,
1: they're, they're located there. The Australian government has said that They don't believe the U.S. will ask for information from the database. But that's not the same as saying that they won't. Mm. It's lawyers speak for they might. Yeah. So, Ian, (laughs) if if
0: they did, what would you be concerned about? I mean, what scenarios do you envisage?
1: Well, personally, um, and saying this on radio, um, I don't have anything to worry about. (laughs) But, I mean, (laughs) there are scenarios where... You know someone who knows someone who's a criminal and they've been in your house and the contact can be traced back to you and you go to America and you have a really hard time getting through customs.
0: Mm,
1: mm. Or you might even have a hard night in a cell, (laughs) you know, Mm. who knows? Mm. And you have a right to privacy Mm. here. Well, do we in Australia? In America, they have a right of privacy that is enshrined, you know, but here we we don't in that in that case. So these sort of things can happen, and as as good as the app could be, I'm not so sure. So, for example, um, the government has claimed that the, if you delete your app, then all the information is deleted along with it. Okay, now that's a sentence that means if you delete the app from your phone, the data that's in the app is deleted with it. However, the data is stored on the central server and it's not deleted. Yep. And the the government has said that it's going to be deleted at the end of the pandemic. Mm. But when you're looking the other way, they might reverse that. When we no longer you know when we're so glad to get out of it all we might no longer care about that data we may no, not even think
0: about so it so what about the argument though okay well a couple of things i might just jump in with is one that you're already giving up to another big well to amazon and other big american corporations like some of the biggest companies in the world ie apple google facebook those those big social giant or, or just big data collectors you know look what Google does look what Facebook does you know that even even things like you know with access to the microphone on your phone you'll have a conversation with your wife about getting a new pram and all of a sudden you notice you're being targeted with ads for prams and thats that's from a vote, from a private verbal conversation you had in proximity to your phone which may not even have had the app running at the time and that's been demonstrated to happen. So given that we're kind of arguably living in a post-privacy world where basically people have given up that right, there's, there's two and a half billion mon- monthly active users of Facebook in the world. And uh, interestingly, if, if you're not on Facebook yourself, the chances are you live with someone or you share a, a accommodation residence with someone who is. Uh, and, and all photos that go up to Facebook are face ID'd and you actually surrender the ownership, those photos are actually owned by Facebook. My point is that for years, people have been giving up their privacy and own ownership, in fact, of their very personal detailed information about all aspects of their lives and relations and friends, contacts, business associates, travel, where they are, what they do, all that. If that's the case, how is this any worse? How is COVID, how is the COVID Safe app any worse than the, than the existing apps that have already totally changed our um, our world into a a world without privacy, really, in the conventional sense? Well,
1: it can happen by degrees that you start this way, and you end up with more and more controls being applied. Luckily, there's. And I think um, this is where America is fantastic. They really do have an inbuilt sense of freedom, you know, a reverence for their constitution and a Bill of Rights. These layers get added on very slowly, but they're there. Uh, legislation that was enacted under Bush, anti terrorist legislation, was that legislation in proportion to the risk? from terrorism that they had at that time, given that they even attacked the wrong country in response. I worry that these lads can get added on and added on. When you were talking about Facebook, I was reminded of when I first read 1984. Yeah. And there was a a device in the corner of the room, basically a a television, Mm. but also a a camera that looked at you 24 hours a day. Well, we've got that now. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> like you were saying, Facebook is that. Who knows what Alexa is hearing or
0: Siri. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I'm not saying that, that this is a good situation to find yourself in, um, or that it's, it's even acceptable, but, but I'm just saying that it does apply anyway. That's the thing. So when there's a health emergency and you have said that, that an app like the COVID Safe app could actually be good for modelling and for contact tracing. Those two things. It, it it automates that process. It uses, you know, big number crunching capabilities of computers. Yeah. and servers. It, it
1: it automates uh, part of the process because without actual people on the ground to check it, there could be people who are falsely misreporting, um, you know, false positives. The rate at which we need the uptake needs to be. I think the uptake in Singapore was 25%, but they were still only catching 4% of interactions. Right. So you still need all of that medical backup and you still need people on the ground tracing as well. Yep. So it doesn't fully automate it.
0: Okay, but, it, but it, it's, a, it's a significant advantage still.
1: Yeah, but it's, it's one of those cases where people leave it to technology and then forget about it. And it can't be done that way.
0: No, okay. And I mean, New Zealand, I thought, had a, had a, a really sort of e- elegantly simple solution, which it probably works in a, in a smaller population and certainly cheaper and certainly without these concerns about big data collection and vagueness about where the, the data goes eventually and whether it actually is ultimately deleted as promised. Their system is just for, p- for people to, to have a contact diary. This applied when they went into isolation. They went into isolation early, uh, and to a, uh, I think to a, a more rigid form of, of uh, stage four isolation, whereas Australia went to stage three. Uh, New Zealand went further in terms of the types of businesses that were closed. People just were encouraged to write down and keep a diary of who you talk to and who you visit and who you see and, and try to be as, as comprehensive and detailed with that as possible and so then if you were found to have it you could draw on this, you can hand that note to. Uh, to the police or to the local hospital doctors, people doing contact tracing, and, and they could do the rest based on that. You're listening to Beyond, Beyond Infinity. 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 The other thing about the app, which I, th- I I'm, you may may not know, but and I was only watching I was watching a video posted by the, the Melbourne University's done some quite good sort of roundtable conversations with um, you know with ethicists and philosophers and um, lawyers and, and medical specialists and one of the, the ways the app uh, works is that it, it actually generates a, a kind of a random number which gets sent to your phone and these get sent quite regularly to your phone when it's activated and so when a contact takes place There's no names or locations recorded, it's just simply a telephone number that goes with that code number, that randomly generated number. Um, That's what's stored, and then you do have the choice, I mean, it really would defeat the purpose of even installing it if you then were found to have COVID. You can still actually legally refuse to pass that information on, but as I said, it, it, it would seem to defeat the purpose of ever installing it and running it if you didn't pass it on in the event that that you well that it, you, it you hasn't contracted it it
1: hasn't been passed that hasn't been passed into law as, no, far, as far as i yeah, know that's
0: correct it hasn't been mm.
1: it's just been uh, claimed mm. Scotty from marketing again mm. and i think that's a time thing also they're
0: not saying they won't but i think they're just saying that we oh and, I,
1: and i'm you know and i'm sympathetic with that too mm. it's a time thing mm. they should say you know they should be completely open about that that it that it hasn't been passed into law yet Mm. For myself, when they pass that into law, <laughs> and apparently this week they're going to bring out the source code, yep. I think even someone has reverse engineered the source code.
0: And what did, what um, did they find?
1: Oh, uh, they found it was safe. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. You know, I feel guilty for not using it, <laughs> but maybe when they release the source code, I'll... I think I will use it, but until then, I'm still a little sceptical, and I I would also like to, you know, voice my concern about governments adding layers of control. Uh, That worries me.
0: Mm. All right. Well, look, I think it's a debate that's going to be you know ongoing for a while now. Uh, They do need to get much much larger numbers of people with it uh, running to be effective. It's part of a. Uh, you know a suite of measures that if you like there's going to be other forms of contact tracing which will be you know just as important or probably more important more more conventional uh, sort of detective work if you like uh, because apparently one of the interesting things is that and one of the arguments in favor of the of having the app is that if you say to someone in normal circumstances now we're in isolation so it's much easier to think back over two weeks and say what you did and who you who you saw right if you were asked to tell me exactly who you'd had contact with. This is in normal circumstances, pre-isolation. Um, most people really struggle to do that. They can maybe remember the last last couple of days, two or three days, but if you ask them to go back two weeks, they just can't remember. Now, it is easier to do that in isolation, but as they start to wind back um, isolation, then you revert to that situation where you know people will struggle to, uh, because you're in contact with that many people. So that's where the app has a benefit, and interestingly, increasingly the pitch to me looks like, if you want to, if you want us to wind back isolation measures and go back to a, a more of a normal life, then install the app.
1: I, I honestly um, <laughs> I don't want to end up in jail for saying this, but I would totally ignore that. I think there's a bit of a devil's dilemma here in that in order to get back to normal if we if we wanted to get rid of the virus we could we could all lock ourselves away have a store of food everybody lock themselves away for two weeks all around the world that isn't going to happen so the alternative is to build up herd herd immunity while at the same time being in control of outbreaks this just seems logical to me. Well, you know.
0: there's, a, there's a scientific report from a bunch of Australian universities, um, and I think, I've, I think I've forwarded it to you earlier today, but it's called um, COVID-19 uh, Roadmap to Recovery, a report for the nation, and it's um, eight big unis from around Australia, Melbourne, Western Australia, Western Australia Monash, University of New South Wales the University of Queensland, Sydney, Adelaide, and ANU in Canberra. It's called the Group of Eight. And one of the things that it says is, and it's actually a pretty interesting document to read. There's a sort of a light um, summary version, and then there's a very detailed document as well. But one of the starting claims that it makes is that the number of carriers of COVID-19 could vary by a factor of 10. So that has a big impact on the the effectiveness of measures that we take and and the other thing that it does just in regard to what you said about herd immunity is it actually it says that while herd immunity might work the cost in lives is is unacceptably high that's the problem herd immunity would be great and there's actually something i read recently from south korea suggesting that the the fears about you know you having it uh, you're getting some level of immunity and then that's subsiding after a period of time what I, r- yeah. I read recently was that that actually doesn't seem to be the case in other words once you've got immunity then it lasts now obviously then there will be a limited we don't know you know we'll only know how long it lasts in in two years time five years time ten years time if someone's still immune ten years later then we could probably say okay well you you've got virtually permanent immunity but it's, so it's very hard I think just because of the reality you know how do you how do you predict that if unless you wait the amount of time to see if if there's still immunity there the cost of lives was was the big issue as far as this group of 8 report that I was referring to
1: so you're saying what they're saying is that they want to have none of the active virus around at all in either scenario there's going to be breakouts and i i wouldn't want to be caught in one of those breakouts
0: no well, you wouldn't want to um, have the test either. I woke up with a sore throat last week and, and I went and had the test on recommendation from the local doctor. And uh, it's, it came back 48 hours later, so very quick. Um, 48 hours later, I got a text message saying negative. But the actual test, taking the swab up, up your nose, I mean, they might as well take a sample out of your brain. Uh, they, they, <laughs> go that, they go that far up your nose and it was absolute agony. It, it really, I'm not it, laughing. It, really, it, really, it, really, it was like having a you know like a sort of no. I I
1: actually I had a really bad flu while everyone was still working. In fact, I missed a week of classes, which was a bit disruptive for my students, unfortunately. But it it just seemed to linger, and it it seemed to have the same kind of symptoms. Yeah. You was know, this in February? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I th- um, I think I, I think uh, our family had similar and uh, i know quite a few people that, uh, who had quite a nasty flu-y thing in february february early march did you get tested for covid yeah
1: yes i did right and and it, and it wasn't covid-19 mm. um i think it was covid-16 but it was <laughs> i don't know what it was yeah. but it was pretty bad yeah uh but yeah they 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 put a swab right up your nose don't they yeah so.
0: really I mean, I just thought it was absolute agony. One side in particular—I don't know why, but there must have been a bit of sensitivity or something. But it really was—you um, know—literally brought tears to my eyes. People have innate caution or wariness about data, and you obviously work with it. You know a lot about this because you—you know—one of the one of the big areas you're involved in is is security of information. So hacking, cybersecurity. Uh, all that sort of stuff is is an area that you're you know that you 're involved with and you you teach people about and i 've spoken to you about it a little bit on this program in previous interviews that we 've done so I guess you know some people have just more just a general wariness or skepticism than others you know there's the there 's a service which was offered a couple of years ago by the federal government and it was an effort to consolidate people 's health records so that if you got sick something happened to you and you're on holiday so you're over in Western Australia and you got sick the local GP can can just punch in your name and pull up your full medical record so it was a shared database my health record anyway a lot of people refused to go on that and I was just going to ask you whether you had participated or not
1: I didn't participate I know people who were working on it Mm. my own opinion is that these things are good things if the security can be assured Mm. and if if the data is not mistreated. One of the things that I worry about with this app is that it was rushed out the door. Mm. And each country is developing their own, where uh, an international effort to assure people of security and an open source and decentralized. The EU brought out a statement saying basically that the app should be decentralized a centralized app is really bad and in in our case the keys and the data are stored in the same cloud centrally which is a uh, which is really bad so it seems to have been rushed out the door in that way
0: yeah so um, there could have been a way of of decentralizing the data storage which which what adds secu- how does that add to security of the data
1: well it's like blockchain you just put it on all the um phones
0: okay ah so it just gets stored locally it doesn't get shared yeah yeah
1: Yeah. if you trust the ledger if you know what i mean with blockchain um everybody stores the same information so it's completely open and if you trust that ledger to store that Mm. um then that'd be that'd be great i think it's such a it's such a good i think in fact i'm going to um as soon as i discover that they've released the source code, I think I'll actually download it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah look, it's I, such a great idea. I, mean, I,
0: I was actually talking with someone recently about whether it should be made mandatory, and in some ways I would even go so far as to say that I think it should be. Oh, but, uh, that's but look, where but, I would... But I, but I also yeah. think that that's, that's getting pretty uh, heavy. See, part of what needs to happen is people need to have explained to them how the app works. And, and okay, maybe the dissection and reverse engineering of the source code and stuff will, will help with that. Say so you are found to have COVID-19, right? You have a test which confirms it. Then they say to you, okay, were you running the app? You say, yes. You still then have the option to choose or not to share the data that's stored on your phone, which then enables the contact tracing to happen. So, actually, as far as the, you know, we're talking about blockchain and and a decentralized data storage versus centralized, it sounds like really the the vital data is actually kept on your phone until such time as you confirm to have have the virus choose to pass it on uh, and share that that information, which then allows the, the central server to to analyse the, the data that, that you've got stored on your phone um, and, 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 and work out who you've been in contact with by proximity well, from, from Bluetooth. So I think that's the way it I does s- work.
1: I'm not so sure if it's that or if it's when you alert authorities that you have COVID-19, health authorities have the right then to decrypt the data. Yeah, but So the data is all there and the keys are there and I think... Anyone can decrypt it technically. It's just legally whether they're allowed to.
0: From my reading of this, and it was only recent that I was recently I was delving into this, um, and again I'd refer you back to the, that, um, that Uni- Melbourne University discussion, which we'll include with the show notes to this interview, my understanding was that, that you were found to have the disease. You were then given the option of sharing data from your phone your choice then to share the data, push a button or something on the app that that shares it and that allows the contact tracing to happen. So until you do that it's not a permission, it's it's releasing data that is locked up on your phone otherwise. So look I, I think that that's maybe that's a technical question that... that, that it, it, it is
1: a technical question mm-hmm. and I haven't seen anything that definitely makes me think that it is that way that it isn't the keys and the data are still able to be decrypted by someone without your permission yeah. on the server, technically, mm. not not legally, but technically.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting conversation. So I take it, are you on Facebook, Ian? No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: One <laughs> of the few people I know. Yeah. My wife is on Facebook. Yeah, well, that... that so that, that, I'm talking to Facebook all that, the time. That's right. So. <laughs> that, co- that covers you anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: All right, well, look, let's let's leave it. Dr Ian Storey, lecturer in information systems at RMIT. Thanks for talking about the COVID Safe app that's been launched in Australia. Hasn't reached the numbers that it needs to. There is a, a campaign to encourage more people to get on board and, and that may include Ian at some point when the source code's out and there's a bit more um, information available about how the app, in fact, works. But uh, thanks a lot, Ian, for, for talking today.
1: Thanks, Piers. It's been fantastic. Thank you. The issue isn't the, the technical issue, it's the ethical issue of governments acquiring more and more power as time goes on. That's a slippery road and we've seen historically where it can lead. There are already some governments trying to make the app reveal much more information than this one.
0: You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Infinity.
1: Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au.